Hello and welcome to this week's CXO Challenge on the IT News Podcast. I'm Andrew Birmingham and this week we take a deep dive into the progress of open banking in Australia. I'm joined today by Rob Hale, the Chief Digital Officer for Regional Australia Bank. And importantly, in the context of today's conversation, a member of the Consumer Data Standards Advisory Committee. Uh, Rob, in terms of open banking, how are we going now a year on? Hey, Andrew. Yes, uh, great question. Uh, I guess the short answer is probably not as great as we'd like. Um, in terms of participation, we've we've only got five active data recipients, so they're the ones that consume the data. And we've got, I think, uh, last time I checked, about 15, 16, 17 data holders who publish that data. But those data holders do have multiple brands. So I think it's 30-something brands involved now. So certainly not the 100 plus that we were hoping for by this point. So what do you think is the delay on, on the 100? Well, uh, a number of those institutions use the same core banking provider, the same platform. Certainly a lot of the smaller institutions do. And so... A couple of those core banking providers I know are, are struggling to get their product in the market running as it should. So as soon as that's resolved, we'll see a, a bit of an influx, I guess, and, and hopefully a lot more brands will be publishing good quality consumer data that, that we can consume as a, as a data recipient. Um, but, you know, in, in a way, it's, it's probably been a bit of a blessing in disguise because the big bang July 1, if we had <laughs> had 100 banks all publishing data on that day and all subjectively interpreting the technical standards, we, we would have, um, Frollo and Regional Australia Bank in particular, as, as the two kind of active incumbents in this space, would have been pretty busy, I think. So how uh, sympathetic is it regulated to the fact that the banks, are, some banks are hamstrung by the nature of the core banking systems? Uh, well, there, I mean, there is an ACCC enforcement team whose job is to make sure that people comply with their obligations and those obligations were effective 1 July. So those, I, I guess there's some scrutiny on those data holders, on those banks. Some of them did did obtain exemptions prior to that for, for valid reasons, but, but just not being ready wasn't viewed as an exemption reason. So I, I think everybody is scrambling to, to get compliant as quickly as possible without compromising security and quality and all those other important attributes. So setting aside the, the core banking issue for a moment, what else can be done to increase participation? And are there other reasons that you know, more banks aren't um, consuming data? Yeah, I think they are. And and I don't think this is unique to Australia. I think all jurisdictions where, where open banking or consumer data right, um, data sharing ecosystems are implemented would have similar challenges, which is one, getting, getting everybody up and running and participating so the data is flowing within the ecosystem. And, and in our case, that's been problematic because the data recipient hurdle, the accreditation hurdle um, over which those organisations that want to consume that data have to climb is, is pretty steep and, and probably rightly so, but that has been a, a burden that few fintechs, let's we'll just call them fintechs, uh, uh, have been keen to take on without there being a, an active ecosystem. So in the early days, where there are only a handful of banks publishing a small subset of, of data, is is that is the value there for a fintech to invest $100,000 in, in trying to attain compliance? So I think that's the problem. Until there's an ecosystem that's active and thriving, we won't see the benefit for smaller organisations to, to get involved. And of course, that's a chicken and egg problem there, isn't there? Because 
why would why would um, why would they do that until there are use cases that that can demonstrate the value of that to consumers who will then badger their banks, badger their data holders to participate. It seems like a bit of a turnaround, Dave. I think back to, I guess it would be a, maybe a bit more than a year ago now, maybe a year and a half ago when the first list of data recipients, so it was more of a testing list. That was sort of people, I think there was 10 organisations that were sort of identified who were going to sort of do the testing. It seemed like there was a lot of interest and it seemed like the kind of thing where people wanted to get very involved. It, it sounds like now what you're describing is that um, there's almost a bit of reality or a bit more understanding of what's involved and that sort of slowed people down a bit. It did. I mean, yes, you're right. The, the um, system development work that kicked off at the end of 2019, and then, of course, we had the pandemic, which I, I didn't exactly help. Um, that, that 10 dwindled to two. So there were only two that went live on July 2020. But you're right. Since then, we have, we have more participants, more data recipients are accredited, more are becoming active. I mean, CBA are now accredited as a data recipient as well as a data holder. That, that certainly will help. That gets consumer awareness up a good notch or two. So I think that's, I think that's really good. Um, I think we've, we've always talked about, do we need a consumer awareness campaign? And, and in the early days, I, I have to say, I thought we did, but then what's been pointed out very validly is, well, we've got to have something to shout about. You can't just say, Hey, we've got this great CDR thing, uh, but you can't use it because nobody's playing yet. So I, I think we've just had to, bide our time and wait for those use cases to be developed and then when we do have something to shout about it's the service it's the product it's the outcome it's not the infrastructure it's not apis no one cares about that it's that oh i can switch banks really easily now or i can take out a loan really easily now it's it's um the outcome and the use case that's the thing we need to shout about you mentioned earlier the overseas experience one of the things i remember when i was studying this maybe two years ago well, certainly in the UK, the experience was a slow start, but it seemed to accelerate once it got to a certain point. How would we sort of compare, I guess, in, in maturity in terms of how far we are along after that sort of first year or so compared to where they are? And if we follow their experience, how long do we have, do you think, before we start to see the kind of tape up, take up they're experiencing? Mm, you're, you're right. There was a slow burn then. We've definitely had a slow burn. It's important to differentiate, though, that the UK was was a payments platform effectively initially, whereas ours is initially a data sharing uh, ecosystem with with action initiation, payment initiation slated to, to follow. So it's it's a different model, and of course, it's probably worth also recognising that the it was open banking in the UK. So it was about banks sharing data. Whereas in Australia, we've got this economy wide ecosystem, the consumer data right. So it's not just finance. Finance is the first sector of the economy to, to have this regulation applied, but energy, telco, superannuation, insurance, these other sectors will inevitably follow. So it's, it's a great set of regulation for us to, to, drive real consumer value. I mean, that is the purpose here. This is the consumer data, right? We're, we're trying to create outcomes that benefits all Australians, but it's very different. And that's, I think that's created some challenges in, well, how do you create regulation that applies across all sectors of the economy? So I think that's a, a really important point of difference there. And, and other jurisdictions, you know, Singapore, some of the Scandinavian countries, they've been more successful because they've got a digital identity capability in those countries and, and Australia doesn't. So, so I don't have a login that I can use for everything. I've got a login for my banking or each of my banking relationships and then I'll have one for my energy and my telco. And that, that creates 
challenges when we're trying to design standards and and how this operability will will um, uh, shape as as we uh, roll this out. So I think I think we're fortunate in that we've had this grand vision of a, an economy wide regulated ecosystem. That's great, but we're hamstrung a little by some of the the um, this, this digital identity piece in particular. It's an interesting point because if you're a fintech, presumably when you're kind of developing your products, one of the things you're thinking about is how do I scale beyond the borders of Australia? How much of an issue is it that the jurisdictions have all taken quite different approaches? I don't know that is, I mean, maybe I'm just taking a, a, a too narrow view, but I don't, I don't know that there's, there's plenty to do in Australia. Let's face it. If we can, if we can get every Australian organization talking to each other effectively, then that would be a great outcome. Um, and, and I think, yes, global interoperability and sharing of data, particularly in financial services, that's, that's for all, all kinds of issues there around AML and, and anti-money laundering regulation and how payments are made and even the schemes are different in different countries and the and the, the regulators are different and the appetites are different so I, I don't know that that's such an issue I think my, my 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 view would be yeah let's let's sort out our own backyard first um, and not and not try to engineer something that's so complex um, that perhaps it, it's actually not possible to achieve and in Australia we talk about the consumer data right as you say as opposed to open banking so let's talk a little bit about the consumers in this sort of whole discussion, where is the consumer in all of this, and, and when will they start to see real benefit? Yeah, I mean that's there's a, there's another topic here I think under the covers which is um, embedded finance. That's something we we talk about a lot. So rather than um, Anne Bowden, um, Starling Bank in the UK, she talks about making banking invisible. So so you don't actually see banking. People don't do banking anymore. They they do something and banking is part of it, but it's embedded, it's invisible to that service delivery function. Uh, now that's that's really banking as a service, which is something else regional Australia banks doing at the moment. But um, I think the two the two are connected in some way um, because data is the the fluid that that allows that to happen. But I think that's what we're focused on is building better consumer outcomes, better consumer experiences. Now, in our case as a bank, that means embedding some functionality. That could be pulling some data at a critical moment, checking someone's balance, checking they can make a payment, uh, checking their credit history or their uh, determine if they can uh, service a debt of a certain amount. So all those things, rather than going to the bank to find that thing out and then going to the insurance company, you know, if I'm moving house, I'll then go, I'll talk to my energy providers and tee all that up. If we can, if we can have a, a moving house experience for a consumer that, that just pulls in all those various elements at the right moment, I think that's, that's what we're trying to get to for the consumer to do all that heavy lifting behind the scenes. Um, now we're, we're a long way, long way off that, but, but that's, I think this is the genesis of being able to do that. So it's interesting because that's not just a technical challenge, it's a sort of almost organizational cultural challenge within banking to deliver that. My sense of banking, and I'm not from the sector, but my sense is it's quite often structured around product. Um, and so that doesn't necessarily lend itself to what you've just described there. Um, how much of the success of, of CDR in terms of really getting great customer benefit would require the banks to operate differently? Well, I think this is great. This is um, this is what we're seeing uh, the, the Commonwealth Bank becoming a, a data recipient and then partnering with, with energy companies and telcos uh, there's a, the simple use case is if if we want some if I want to uh, put solar panels on my roof as a consumer, um, 
there's probably some energy data that I could use to analyze that. There's probably some geolocation information about where my house is and the, and the direction of that. And then maybe if, if I'm a good fit and I qualify for some rebates that are local to me, maybe I need a loan. Maybe I can, I can, so I could wrap all of that up in a, in a use case to, to make it much easier to put solar panels on my roof and, and tie the whole thing off. So, so if we, if we continue, you're right, if we continue to think of, of banks as just doing the banking, we won't be able to deliver those use cases. But if we start to partner with other, other sectors of the economy and other organisations, then those things can become possible. It, it leads nicely to the next question, which is how do we, how do we measure the success of CDR ultimately? Um, do, do we look at participation, the volumes of data? When will we know we're on the right path? I mean, initially, I, I sense the the success has been. Did we get all the banks to to meet their obligation? Um, that that doesn't that doesn't talk to data quality or reliability. You know, uptime. Can can I rely on this this API being there tomorrow when my my whole business is built around that fact? So I think we need we must factor that into the conversation that yes we need everyone to be participating but we need the quality to be extremely high and the reliability to be extremely high and then we need the use cases that use that data that exploit the, the latent potential to exist and they must be reliable too and they then become a commonplace and people people adopt them Australians adopt technology very quickly when it when it services a need so I think we I think we're a long way off that happening, but though that's the that's what we should be striving for. As the end point is consumers being able to to use these services, not even knowing that CDR was was involved, but being able to do something. So adoption isn't just data holders and data recipients. I think it's consumers using those services um, for effective outcomes that, that really that really benefit them. I used an expression before obligation, which I thought was interesting. Because when I was when I first began studying this topic, which is probably two and a half to three years ago, I believe. Um, the, the debate at the time was that you really would have to oblige the banks to get involved. And in fact, in, so to some extent, they may be reticent because as the traditional holders of huge amounts of data, there's a big competitive advantage in that. Um, to what extent do you think, uh, to what extent was that attitude, was that real? And to what extent do you think the, particularly the bigger banks and, and banks such as yours now have really identified the opportunity for them to innovate around this idea? It was a real thing. And, and we've come a long way in, in four or five years. I think when the Treasury review went out in 2017, there was still debate in many banks. Who's, whose data is this? Is this ours? Is it the customers? I don't think that's debated anymore. It's the customer's data. We're, we're, we're custodians of it. We're holding it, but it's their data. It reflects their actions that they've taken, they've initiated. So I think that one's been, we've, we've landed in the right place there, but, but I still hear this compete comply rhetoric around as a bank, our obligation, we, we've got these things we have to do. We have to comply with this legislation. And then if we've got any energy left or any budget left, we'll, we'll try competing and see if we can build some use cases. And, and it, it's such a shame because complying, actually publishing data as a data holder gives your customers a massive opportunity. And the example I'll give is the one I, I talk about a lot, which is Frollo as, a, as the other accredited data recipient last year who are publishing data, they have a, a, a PFM platform, a personal budgeting financial management platform. And of course, by Regional Australia Bank publishing as a data holder, our compliance obligation, publishing data, our customers, if, if they want to, can 
load the Frollo app, provide consent and share their Regional Australia Bank data and all of a sudden they have a PFM app. Now Regional Australia Bank didn't have to do anything. We didn't have to build that app. We didn't have to service it. We didn't have to even build an integration between ourselves and Frollo. That, that just happens as part of the ecosystem. So I would again challenge those institutions that still feel it's a compliance obligation to rethink because I think it's, it's an opportunity to give your existing customers uh, better products and services, and 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 that's a healthy, a healthy objective to have if you if you truly are a, a customer focused organisation. So it's a good time to switch the conversation to um, regional Australia banks' experience. I thought what I'd do is just get you to start to talk just for a couple of minutes about the amount of work and the effort that's been involved in getting yourselves to where you are at the moment, and the kinds of challenges that you've need to needed to overcome. Sure. Well, I mean, July one, twenty twenty, we we. We took a personal loan on day one of CDO. That was an exciting day for us. We're a new to bank customer who shared their data with us so we could calculate their loan affordability, do a loan affordability assessment automatically. So that old process took seconds instead of hours and hours. So that was great. Getting to that point was quite quite challenging. but we did some things then, which which looking back were were good. One of them was we created we created a data recipient gateway, a bit of software, which we called Doctor G, and we open sourced that bit of software. And what we did that for was to help other participants accelerate their their contribution within the CDO regime. So that gateway is really important because that talks that every everyone who participates needs something like Doctor G, and it allows you to connect to the register and the other data holders and do all the certificate exchange and the token exchange and all that, all that standard stuff. So we, we then used Dr. G again this year, earlier this year when we created our second use case, which was an application called My CDR Data. And that's an, a free application available to, to any Australian or anyone in the world who happens to have an Australian bank account relationship. So mycdrdata.com.au and you can as a consumer, you can share your any component of your banking data you wish to, and you can you can actually download it and see it. So that's been really interesting because our motivation to do that was to help generate more awareness of of the consumer data right and what it was and how as consumers we could we could benefit from that. And it was also to help other data holders verify that their data was being published in accordance with the standards and other people could read it and consume it. And and so we call that production verification testing and the nature of the CDR technical ecosystem is such that when you're publishing data, you don't know whether anyone's able to read it. It's not part of your obligation. You just publish it and hope for the best. So having something at the other end that you can actually see and use as a data holder is really important. So we found my CDR data has been been really beneficial, and we're spending a lot of time supporting other data holders on board into the ecosystem. But it's it's time well spent because that means we've got a more stable, more consistent data environment that then we can take advantage of. That was a question I was going to ask you, which was what was the internal use case? What was the rationale for you for you building my CDR data? Yeah, I, I think initially it was it really was to um, help people share their data and understand it. There was a problem with, uh, we'll just call it the joint account problem. It was very hard to share data associated with joint accounts under under what are still the current rules. 
there, there are, there's some consultation on them right now, but under under those current rules today, all parties in a joint account have to have to make some active consent action, take some action, rather than just one person. And we wanted to, um, if, if someone, you imagine someone's applying for a home loan and they get to that point, it's already been quite an onerous process and now I can't get to my data and I've got to get the other party in my joint account to provide consent and things time out and sessions expire and all of a sudden, you know, we've lost that moment. That's not a great experience. We don't want to be building that. So we, we, we were pushed into the situation where, well, let's, let's surface this issue so people can actually see it for what it is and hopefully recognize that's a problem and a problem we need to address. So it was almost a, a public relations exercise to help surface the joint account issue. And, and then if someone is going to apply for a home loan, try this out beforehand, make sure you can access all your accounts because when you do it for real, it'll, it'll work much more smoothly. So those are the, the probably the two main underlying intentions, and then we discovered this this production verification testing issue, and that's that's subsequently become a bigger a bigger reason for this to continue to exist for us. Okay, so we're looking ahead. What are the sort of use cases that Regional Australia Bank is looking into? Well, we'll continue to work on MyCDR data because it's it's actually a really great way to help the ecosystem and and we connect with every other bank in australia at the moment and hopefully we'll connect with energy and telco providers as well so we're building that community of participants and we're learning from each other and we're, we're evolving this ecosystem collectively so that's a really positive good thing to do but it doesn't generate a lot of revenue for regional australia bank so we need to focus on things that that help our customers and help our members and, and continue to serve those needs so we are, we've been waiting for this joint account consultation process to conclude and, and we're getting a strong indication now, I think, that, that those rules will be adjusted in a way that facilitates a smoother customer experience for joint account data sharing. And so we're primed to launch CDR for home loans. We've been working really hard on that in the background and as soon as this issue is resolved, we would like to do that. So on the, on the, I guess on the back of doing Australia's first personal loan with CDR, we'd like to do Australia's first home loan with CDR as well. That's, that's a, a little internal goal we've set ourselves. Um, that's a much more meaningful revenue stream for, for regional Australia bank. And it's, it's something that is today still very complex and onerous, and it's a big decision for consumers. That's probably one of the largest financial decisions they'll ever make in their life. And if we can take some of that heavy lifting away from that process, remove that burden, create more capacity for a human conversation about someone's financial needs and their well-being and their goals and their expectations, then, then we think that's a really good way to serve our customers and, and hopefully more customers for Regional Australia Bank. Fantastic. And just a final question to finish off as we sort of project a year forward to July 2021 or no, 2022. Um, what's your expectation and what's your hope in terms of where we'll be with the consumer data right? Well, I hope we'll we'll fix this joint account thing and put it to bed once and for all and data will flow and people will be able to provide consent and share that data more readily. I hope many more data holders will come on stream with compliant data holder endpoints and that will get us past this tipping point. If if there are a hundred brands out there publishing high quality, reliable consumer data, I think that will encourage data recipients to take on the burden of becoming accredited 
and and develop those killer use cases that Australian consumers are crying out for. I think if we can get those prerequisites right, I think it really will flow and it really will kick on and then hopefully we'll we'll start to see some serious adoption. Rohal, thank you very much for your time today. Pleasure, Andrew. Thank you. And that's all for this week's IT News CXO Challenge. Join us next week when we are back with an exciting new interview. Until then, you can catch all the latest IT news from Australia at itnews.com.au.